previously on Durandrew Duranthony. Even more previously on Dupardrew Cast Anthony. Yeah, and she, um, 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 conflict with Mr. Burns is a Republican. You have to have some overarching description. And now, part two of Dupardrew's Cast Anthony, Roseanne. A siren song of murder. Um, let's let's transition to to another TV and politics thing that's been going on, um, and that's the reboot revival, uh, new episodes of the TV show Roseanne. And I watched them, and I laughed heartily at some of the jokes. Roseanne, for those of you who are maybe too young to remember, because a lot of our our, our younger listeners, yeah, our listeners maybe skewing young, yeah, uh, was a show about a family in did they Chicago. Have, was, was it in the suburbs of Chicago? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, I don't think they ever like define it, but it's in the Chicagoland area. It's it's it, whatever it is. It's Midwest. It's the, the yeah. arch arch Midwest. Yeah, um, they themselves are a truly working class family. Roseanne yep. has a number of. Entry level type jobs, yeah. uh, not high paying jobs. Dan, I think at some point ends up owning his own motorcycle shop. Or he does a lot of bid shop. work too. Like yeah. he's a con- he's done some contract work where he just has yeah. to like put in bids and stuff. But he's a he's a blue collar laborer, yeah, uh, type position played by John Goodman. John Goodman, who, the great John Goodman. That's when everyone realized that John Goodman's awesome. Yeah. Thereafter, starred in King Ralph and other quality I think movies. The like the very last episode of roseanne he was also starting to film the big lebowski so it was like right when he just kind of blew up yeah well i mean he already had because of roseanne but like when he became really right star yeah uh that the the show you know it was a not dysfunctional family but certainly a um a struggling family a family that, that had a lot of things going on and the economic realities were all drove a lot of it that they were yeah a poor family a poor working class family. And yeah, they're the you know you always hear on the news uh, stories about like families that you know like half American half of Americans don't have any savings for retirement things like that. Like this is that family. There's there's episodes where you know they only have like ten dollars in the bank account and they they really do have to struggle like worry or think about how they're going to pay the bills. Yep. Things like that. Um, but like that's that's never the joke. I read this really good article um, from In These Times, which is a Chicago left-leaning news publication about Roseanne and its working-class roots. And it said the fact that they were poor never was the joke. No. They were the ones that made the jokes. So I think that's really what makes this show really funny. Right. The the economic background was the set piece. It wasn't yeah. Um, you know, it wasn't someone showing up wearing uh, a barrel with straps on it as clothing because they're so poor, like yeah. you'd see in the 1910s in a silent film. It, it was it was just the fact that that set the scene. It's like if I might draw a parallel to those that maybe uh, remember this one because it's a little more recent, uh, a show like Malcolm in the Middle, yeah, where they were oh, yeah, a, really a good, struggling yeah. middle class family. And but that wasn't what made the show funny. Yeah, it was the interplay of the characters and how they interact with society at large, and then and that delightful Brian other, Cranston. That again, another TV dad who then blew up. Yeah. Um, Although I, for some, Brian Cranston cannot be—he just is never in good movies. I'm trying to think what movies he was in. No, no, he was in—he was in Drive. Oh, and he was delightful in it. But then again, everyone was delightful in Drive. It's a wonderful yeah. movie. I just feel they always. I feel like they always hype up Brian Cranston, and I always see the movie, and I'm always like, eh, it was fine. 
was Cranston in Argo in a small? Oh part? yeah, he was in Argo in a very in a in a bit role. Yeah. Okay. He but, he has a lot of he has a lot of small roles like that. Yeah. So like he wasn't he wasn't huge in Drive. He was yeah. kind of a small part, but he but he was opposite Albert Brooks. So of course he faded into the background because Albert Brooks in that movie was perfect. Um. So Roseanne, when it originally aired, uh, she's a very progressive character. Maybe not like in party politics, but you're looking at these people that are really ground level and seeing their lives. And she's a progressive character. Um, there's a really famous episode. It was the first season finale where they, uh, she's working, she has a job on a line. I, f- I forgot what it is that she does, but she yeah. has a line job and um, her, they have a new boss and he's up the quotas and they just, no one can make the quotas. And she confronts the boss on her own and says like, we can't do this work. And the boss, um, says okay I'm, i'll lower the quotas they come to an agreement they come to an understanding and then she goes to work the next day and she she talks to to her husband dan john goodman and says it's kind of like i sold my soul because you know she she was the one that stood up to the boss um she goes to work the next day and uh the new boss he's raised the quotas back up and he's expecting them to do all the work and he says it's just because i can and roseanne she leaves and the episode like the first season ends her and um, her sister Jackie, who's another main character, yeah, um, and all of the women like clock out for the last time, and then the next season, like they're all trying to find jobs. Yeah, it's that sort of show. Like that's a pretty progressive thing to do. Yeah, um, it, it was. It was very. It was a progressive show. It was often Roseanne against yeah. management, which yeah. is not a um, a conservative uh, mainstay as far as uh, yeah. politically speaking. Um, it was. You know, I think the end of the Reagan era, like 89. Um, I think that's when it premiered. Um, you had all these families that maybe they believed in the promise of Ronald Reagan and maybe they weren't willing to admit it, but he left the working class just decimated. And, and, dry. and um, it's not a surprise to me that the Simpsons and Roseanne premiered in the same year. And they both really reflected working class people and values and the struggles that now existed. Um, and Roseanne's also a weird show because, uh, you know, there, there's a season where John Goodman, he's, he's supposedly dead. Yeah. And then he comes back and it turns out that Roseanne had just like written a book and it was kind of weird and everyone, no one liked it. Um, she has one daughter and that daughter, the actress left. So they brought another daughter. Sarah Chalk. They brought Sarah Chalk. Um, and then the original actor came back and there's a season where they just like both play the daughter. Yeah, there was like one episode where, like, at the end, they were both on screen, and it was a yeah. real, you know, fourth wall moment. And that that happens in the in the reboot too, which, well, is, which is funny. That's so funny. It, it's a weird show. It's not without its flaws, but I think it's it's one of the uh, there there are two live action sitcoms about class from the '90s, uh, Roseanne and Frasier. And Frasier is looking at it from the top down in the actual <laughs> conflicts. You know, Frasier versus his dad. Roseanne is. Hey, we're working class, and we are here. Like we actually exist, and these are like our. This is our lives. Yeah. Um, and then you flash forward twenty years later, and Roseanne Barr is a. She's an interesting lady. She has become. I just want to point out one one more thing about uh, the the progressivism of of Roseanne. I think it was the season that ended up ultimately being either a dream or a book. I forget which. Uh, Roseanne, I think, wins the lottery. Yeah. And she said she decides to turn whatever company she's working for into a co-op. Yeah. Like a workers' cooperative, which is. Not just progressive. That's out and out socialism. That is, and it was it was something that she came to as a realization with excitement, not like as resignation or like what should I do with this money. It was that, yeah, which is beyond progressive. Yeah, uh, just wanted to, I remembered that and I wanted to toss it in before we get into nowadays. Roseanne Barr, 
An interesting, interesting lady, as you so, say. So it's, it's important to note that um, the show, like the character of Roseanne in the show is really based a lot on Roseanne Barr's life and her stand-up. Um, and I think that it, it's, this, it's also a story that she continually fought for more creative control on the original show. Yeah. But after the show ended, uh, you know, she didn't really do that much. I mean, maybe some stand-up, maybe some guest appearances and things. Um, her politics have become very vocal and they've shifted wildly. There was, she definitely appeared on like some interview and said our country could use a little bit more socialism. However, she's mostly of note now for being a very, oh, she ran for president once. I think she I remember did, that. She ran for president. She, um, she's notable now for being a very big Trump supporter, a very vocal Trump supporter. Yeah. I, I know her most for nowadays. Yes. Being in fact in the MAGA crowd, but also uh, I know her very, uh, uh, came to my attention because I'm very into the uh, world of Pizzagate. Yeah. And Roseanne Barr was probably one of the highest profile people that wasn't a, you know, political flack that was espousing this Pizzagate theory. Yeah. And uh, she, I'm shares... sorry, Pizzagate fact. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and that's Pizzagate. If uh, just a quick summary for those of you who don't realize, uh, did you know that John Podesta runs a pedophile ring out of a pizzeria in Washington D.C.? Yeah, because apparently it's true, and it's all in the emails and code where pizza means kids. Because when you go to a pizzeria and you say, "Can I get some pizza?" they always go, "Do you want pizza or do you want pizza?" Yeah, and that's like that's how you know it's a good code when it's totally inscrutable. Yeah. Anyways, um, yeah, that was Roseanne actually espoused this theory, um, at least for a time. I don't know if she's still on that bandwagon. I, she shares a lot of, of material from like one of the websites that really supports Pizzagate, and or that like goes with these crazy conspiracy theories. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if she just like completely lost her mind or what. Um, I think a lot of that also has to do with because every time you invoke Pizzagate, you're invoking John Podesta. When you invoke John Podesta, you're assaulting the Democrats. Her her appreciation we'll say of Donald Trump is i think very skewed um she she says that he's actually a very good candidate on lgbt issues um but mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. that that's and you can kind of recall in the campaign that Donald Trump even said he'll like he'll be a good president on those issues but everyone knew it was bs then and it's sick it's true now that he's just a complete terrible piece of shit on those things and he'll just let Mike Pence do whatever he wants because Donald Trump doesn't actually care. But also, I mean, twice now, uh, Trump has either said he was going to, signal he was going to, or attempted to uh, limit the availability of uh, the availability of work within the Defense Department of transgender yeah. soldiers yeah. or troops, not soldiers necessarily. Yeah, that's the T in LGBT. Yeah, for those of you keeping track at home. Uh and we'll get to that with the the Roseanne reboot because there's actually some interesting implications of that. Because when you, um, when gay marriage was was uh, declared legal in Obergefell v. Hodges, um, the conservative movement just kind of moved on. They kind of just gave up the fight pretty quickly, but they also shifted like what they're the person they're going to attack. There's new scapegoat to transgender people, right? And so, I think. Um, Republicans realize the writing on the wall and they say, well, even if Mike Pence exists and the Mike Pence people exist and they do don't, they, they do don't, even if they don't like um, gays and lesbians, they're not going to go after them in the way they used to. Instead, they're, they're shifting all of their focus on transgender issues. 
yeah, the transgender issues, uh, the transgender community doesn't have the same um, legacy now of yeah. of out um, public uh, knowledge. It's still very much an, an issue that requires instruction for the average American. And the advocacy at this point is still kind of in the periphery. It's not mainstream to the extent that, um, you know, uh, the, the gay community to a lesser extent, the lesbian and bisexual communities. I mean, bisexuality in this country is still uh, very much a misunderstood thing. Yeah. Uh, but that's a whole other, you know, day. Um, but the trans community, because of the implications of gender in general, yeah, and the uncomfortable for some people conversations about what it means to have a sex or a gender, um, how society shapes these things, it's kind of heady stuff. Yeah. Which... Because there is the the fundamental disconnect between people is they assume that there's gender A and B and homosexuality means A is A, B and B, heterosexuality A, B, B, A. And then, when you, but then when you introduce transgender or uh, gender non-binary, fluidity, yeah. people get so utterly confused that they think it's the, the sexual and gender wild west. Yeah. Um, which it only takes a few minutes of reading to understand all this shit. Let me just throw it out there. Now, this is an important thing to talk about because in the Roseanne reboot, um, she has grandchildren. Okay. Um, uh, her daughter, Darlene, has two children. So in the show, uh, it's Roseanne 20 years later. John Goodman is back. They completely gloss over all the dead stuff. They don't. They make a joke about it. Um, he wakes up and he, he sleeps with a CPAP machine. <laughs> of course. And uh, she's like, I thought you were dead. And it's a big laugh. Um, and like, there was a lot of good jokes in, in the reboot, but so it, it's, it started off, uh, Roseanne's daughter, Darlene has moved back into the house and Darlene has two kids, um, an older daughter who's just kind of a generic person who hasn't done anything yet. And then she has a son. Um, so Roseanne's grandson who is definitely gender fluid. Okay. They showed two episodes of the show. And in the second episode is all about how he wants to wear girls clothes to school. He wears skirts. He wears things with like, that are really sparkly uh, John Goodman is really concerned about it. Um, they make a point of saying they at like Roseanne asks him like, "Are you?" I think she's like, she's like "Are you gay? Gay? Or are you straight?" And he says, "Oh, I'm straight," but he's definitely gender fluid. I think he would say. Okay. Yeah. I um. Mean. So, it's definitely the show is confronting this idea head on, but it's not also doing it with like, because we were just saying Republicans are kind of moving on from the LG of LGBT. Um, they could have easily just had a, a grandson who was gay. They they picked someone, or they made a character who was gender fluid. Yeah. And that raises some interesting issues because Roseanne in the show is is a vocal Trump supporter. Um, the uh, show starts off, and she has not talked to uh, Jackie, who was a main character for since the election. Okay. Um, and uh, they don't reveal it right away, but Jack, uh, Roseanne... Darlene says, why don't you talk to Aunt Jackie? And Roseanne says, because she voted for the worst person in the world and shouts it. And then uh, Jackie comes to pick up. Uh, she comes to the house. She was invited over by, by another character. And she opens the door and she's wearing one of those pussy hats and a shirt that says nasty woman. Okay. And suddenly you're like, oh, no. Like, yeah. It turns out she <laughs> voted for Hillary. The worst person in the world. It was I Hillary. Mean, yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> there's, a, there's a part where... Um, Roseanne is leading the family like in a in a grace before dinner, and she ends it by thanking God for helping to make America great again. Um, and then the resolution of the episode is Roseanne and Jackie finally have a talk about the election. 
this was uh, problematic for me because in the episode, and this is consistent with the show, Jackie says, Roseanne berated her so much during the 2016 election that she choked when she got in the voting booth and ended up voting for Jill Stein. <laughs> um, okay. And then Jackie apologizes to Roseanne um, for being, uh, you know, for their fight since the election. And Roseanne, instead of like having any leeway, uh, just says, I forgive you. Which is consistent with her character, but also the show is very much trying to, to depict a family that is torn apart after the election, but still trying to do the best they can. But also trying to like softly put their thumb on the scales for, for like why a person would support Trump. And yeah. they just can't have it both ways in the way they're doing it. Hmm. And here's some reasons why. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in addition to having uh, the two grandkids I talked about, this this joke really stuck with me. Roseanne has another uh, grandkid, um, her son, DJ. Okay, DJ. yeah, DJ. Uh, son, yeah. He was in the military. He has a wife. The wife is still in service. The wife is presumably African-American because uh, DJ's daughter is black or biracial. Okay. Um, she does not say anything on the show except, like, hi to Roseanne, and then she sits next to Roseanne uh, during dinner. Um, so it's Roseanne, and there's a little black girl next to her. And then uh, Roseanne makes a joke to Jackie, and she says, because um, they're about to say Grace, and she goes, are you going to take a knee for Grace? And it, like the shot is literally her next to this, this black, black girl. girl, and that really rubbed me the wrong way, where I mean, you can see why, right? Right. There, the, there, there is, whether you want to frame it this way or not, there is a coded racial issue with the whole taking the knee, <laughs> taking yeah. anything. Not uh, this does also that mm. that also doesn't have anything to do with Hillary Clinton. No, it does. It it does have to do with how uh, MAGA people view modern society, and that people that are yeah. of a certain political bent would therefore want to kneel during the national anthem, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. It, it it becomes this this hulking mass of of contrary political views. Yeah, and so here, here's what the show the the problem with the show I think is that. They're presenting this character, and they want to say, like, hey, this is a Trump supporter, but this is, like, a real Trump supporter. Sure, like, you know, she says things like fake news and make America great again, but she loves her grandkids, whether they are black or gender fluid. And um, there's a part, because her other daughter, uh, the one who is played by two people, the, one of the plot points for the season is that she decides to get artificially inseminated. Or, no, she's, like, going to she's gonna be, um, what's that thing? When, like, a lady has a... Has a kid for another couple. A surrogate. She's going to be a surrogate. So Becky's going to be a surrogate. Becky's going to be a surrogate. Okay. And um, John Goodman does not, he's not happy about this. Um, he goes, does anyone want to know what I think about this? And and uh, and Jackie goes, it's my body, my choice. Right, Roseanne? And Roseanne's like, yep, my body, my choice. Even though Roseanne's not happy about it. So they're trying to have this like, oh, she's still this progressive person. She loves like diversity and she still believes that a person has like the right to do what they want with their body. Yeah. But the thing is, she doesn't, and she specifically is vocally supporting a person who's putting all of this in danger. Right. Yeah. Um. And the show doesn't really address that. Well, I, it, it's it's hard to because you pointed out that Roseanne Barr for so long has fought to have such good such creative control over her shows, yeah. which awesome, by the way. That's actually a really cool thing. Yeah. Fundamentally. Um, for anyone with a point of view, especially back when we were talking late eighties, early nineties, a woman on TV that you know chooses charts their own path of her own show on a network—that's amazing. Um, but she's trying to square the circle. Clearly, yeah. she's trying to rehabilitate a a 
a class of voter. Um, and it's it, it can't she can't do it both with economics and with social issues. It has to be one or the other. Right. I'm 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 thoroughly convinced you can do one or the other and actually have it at least ring kind of not false. Yeah. But there's no way you can do both. You can't be the Trump supporter who is uh, kumbaya, love everyone, but also is hypercritical of Colin Kaepernick and yeah, and whatever. I mean, it it just doesn't work. Yeah. Um, vice versa. If you are that social shithead, you can also be like, but we need better jobs, blah, blah, yeah. blah. and that totally it's fine. Yeah, it totally works. And um. I think that there's value in trying to do this uh, in trying to say, like, here's a show about, you know, a family that's conflicted since the election, because that's a lot. That's the story of a lot of people right now. A lot of families. And, you know, to to super generalize, I think it's especially true of, of lower class white families. Yeah. Where, you know, I'm sure that there there are definitely black and Latino families that may have experienced this. But if I had to guess there's not as many families where they're literally fighting with someone who voted for Trump within the family itself. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, there's a lot in a state like Illinois, there's going to be a lot of people who have family in Southern Illinois and family in Northern Illinois that are going to be in conflict, but the show's not succeeding on that. Right. Um, it still is, it still is funny. It still made, had jokes that made me laugh, but it's a little strange. Uh, Roseanne does give a small defense for why she voted for Donald Trump in the show. Um, she's arguing with her sister, and she says, he's the only candidate that talked about jobs. Can, can you look around? We're not doing that well right now. Um, but then none of her behavior in the show reflects that. Right. Uh, because she just talks about social issues. She brings up you know, the Colin Kaepernick thing like you were talking about. Um, it's just very, it's not quite there. And then, and that's yeah. Getting to that, it's if she were to frame herself as a Trump voter, Trump supporter, because of uh, the the actual damage done to the American economy in the nineties, yeah, that would be one thing. Yeah, that would be an entirely different thing. And if if you stuck to that tack, and that's just that is the reflection of the 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 Trump supporter in the household, it would one ring true. Yeah. Two, you kind of would have trouble challenging the character yeah you would say okay even if you disagree with their their actual act and their belief you can at least say well it comes from an understandable place yeah you don't have the 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 inner turmoil of like what you describe where you have a, a family situation where you have a, a a biracial child and you're also um maligning a movement that is trying to call attention to things like institutional racism and policing yeah which as a if you have a family member that is of a non-white race that's sort of a thing that has to be in the back of your head like constantly or yeah. it would be when you know that, that that's just a reality of of life especially i mean in the show roseanne where her sister used to be a cop oh that's right yeah i forgot about that um, used to be a cop. so it's not like this wouldn't be a thing you would think about or have a discussion on um the like the character so, like I said, the mother is presumably like still overseas serving in the military. The uh, granddaughter, whose name I don't remember, she did not have any lines besides just like hi. hi. <laughs> um, so we'll see if that is addressed more. Um, I don't know if I want to continue watching it or not. I think that the best thing I'll say about the show, 
I mean, like, it was funny um, in certain some things. Some things fell super flat, especially when they were, like, talking about the politics. Yeah, yeah. But one of the best things I think they did was they didn't really get into what other people in the show thought besides Roseanne and Jackie. Okay. There's no indication who John Goodman voted for. In fact, I think in some of the interviews of the show, some of the other writers would be like, well, we're not even sure if, you know, his character voted at all. Right. Um, they never bring it up. Uh, it's not even really mentioned. Her children, none of her children seem like the sort of person who would be supporting Trump. They um, all, they don't talk about their politics at all. Roseanne is not arguing with them. Right. Um, so I think that, that that's good. I don't think people would want to watch the show if John Goodman was a Trump supporter. So maybe that was a strategic decision. Uh, yeah. But it's also just it. It's also kind of jarring because then it's like Roseanne is just vocally shouting out about how much she loves Trump, and everyone else is just in a sitcom. <laughs> I I don't know if that's necessarily not tracking with a lot of families where there's one person who's so their brain has been so eroded by a constant stream of of, of media that's pro-Trump in in, yeah. in, the, in the conservative world, and the rest of the family just tries to go on with their lives. Yeah, and like their their family member will be outspoken about it and just to keep the peace people just go on about their their business yeah i would not be shocked about that it, even if I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of families who do the exact opposite with, with a a a kid who goes to school and then comes back super left wing yeah they're just like okay great yeah we totally should it's yeah fine. and i i think that reflects a lot of a lot of people who are and i think this gets back to like the homer simpsons of the world where they're not day to day overtly political, which is a very American thing, right? Um, and I mean, by virtue of not being overtly political, you are taking a political stand of sorts, um, whether you realize it or not. And I think that is so common that that's actually way more identifiable than anything any one political view she could have shown on the show. Yeah, I don't know if that was a voluntary choice or just that to make that kind of writing work would be a fucking headache. Yeah, to like have like seven strong personalities about politics, even if they agree mm -hmm. that otherwise it would just, it would look like a, a debate club. Yeah. For those of you that are unfamiliar with the news of late, uh, Republicans hate voters. Yeah. Oh well, yeah. And or rather they hate voters that vote how they actually want government to look. Yeah. They want to cordon those votes off into ways that maintain uh, the halls of power as they are currently shaped. Yeah. So there, there were two uh, big statewide stories recently. Um, one was in Pennsylvania. Uh, the state, and this was a little while ago, the state Supreme Court ruled that um, the state congressional districts were so gerrymandered in a political sense they had to be redrawn um, because they favored Republicans in a way that was not in accordance with the Pennsylvania Constitution. This is an important note. Um, you can't appeal something to the Supreme Court if the state Supreme Court says it's not based on the U.S. Constitution. It's based on its own state constitution. Yeah, that's a federalism. Thing. That's, a, that's a thing. So Pennsylvania said, this is our issue, not a U.S. issue. This is about our issue. Republicans tried to appeal it. Yeah. And Samuel Alito, of all people, said, no, that's not how it works. You know, some t this happens with every Supreme Court justice. It's some they're going to surprise you once in a while. Yeah. Where they're actually going to have some overarching political philosophy that is not 
or rather a legal philosophy that is not purely political. Yeah. Um, I've read a couple of uh, Alito concurrences recently in a field about uh, in a class about employment discrimination that were actually in favor of yeah. a plaintiff. Yeah. Which is just baffling. Yeah. But it happens. And the idea that Alito himself, kind of a legal positivist, would see that I can actually I can square that circle because if he is pro federalism, that's about as a clean federalism question as you can get. Yeah. Um, I read a dissent by Alito that I actually liked. Uh, it was a criminal procedure case, and I agree with the majority. It was a very long dissent by Antonin Scalia that I did not agree with. The Alito dissent, which he did not join with Scalia and Thomas, um, the Alito dissent was just uh, the practice of criminal procedure. Like, the logical solution wouldn't be able to be done with what the majority wants. Because what the majority said was... Um, they basically... I won't get into the details of the case, but they basically said the remedies for whatever the state court... Like, whatever the lower courts decide, they'll come up with remedies. And Alito said, that's not really how, like, this works. That doesn't make any sense. And I agreed with Alito on that, even though I thought the majority opinion was correct. Which <laughs> I know was weird, but whatever. Um, so, Pennsylvania Republicans, uh, then, they, <laughs> what they wanted to do, one of their members of their uh, state congress, I don't know if he was the Speaker of the House, he was some bigwig, he uh, put forward a plan to impeach the Pennsylvania Supreme Court justices who voted for this plan. Which is, <laughs> I mean, what a nakedly political move. It's, it's one, the whole idea of impeachment is that you're supposed to uh, be able to take out the otherwise untouchable corrupt. Yeah. Uh, and like, I mean, it, it, those are state judges, so they're not Article 3. But the idea is that these are people that otherwise are not subject to the whims of voters right. or some other um, popular mechanism. Yeah. Um, and uh, this was actually, I mean, I don't know. I thought this was, I wasn't scared, but it was like, oh, this, no. is, this is like brushing up on constitutional crisis territory of just taking out a judge because you don't agree with him. Um, even though I would love to see Neil Gorsuch impeached. So I guess I'm a hypocrite, but, but I think Neil Gorsuch has, if not so far by action, certainly has the potential to telegraph such a disregard for yeah. uh, judicial independence that yeah. an impeachment wouldn't be entirely out of the question. Yeah, and I, I guess, like, impeached might not be the right word here, but I think that the way he was appointed to the court was so unethical that he would do better to recuse himself from now until he dies, or that he should just step down, because I think that it undermines confidence in the court when that's the way you're appointed. You want him pelican-briefed. <laughs> yeah, I want him pelican-briefed. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good way of putting it. Um so that was what happened in Pennsylvania, and it ended up resolving fine. The Supreme Court of Pennsylvania had to draw new congressional districts because the Republican governor refused to do it. Uh, the plan to impeach the judges was instantly criticized and didn't go forward. And yeah, yeah. now uh, Pennsylvania is going to have clean, fair judicial, uh, not judicial, clean, fair congressional districts Yeah, and for the next congressional election. It's a, a miracle. Which is coming up right down the line, like yeah. soon, like a few months soon. So couldn't have happened at a better time. But there's a second state uh, story that I think is a little bit more nefarious, um, and that is uh, the <laughs> tales of Scott Walker, um, Wisconsin Two bologna governor, sandwich Walker. <laughs> um, as AFL-CIO President Richard Trumka oh, once said, Ham sandwiches, sorry. <laughs> Scott Walker is a national disgrace. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so... Here's what's going on in Wisconsin. There are two state districts um, for their state Congress. They both went for Trump by like about 
like over 10 percent each like maybe 15 yeah, percent each that's pretty high when you consider the the scoring of what a district goes by that's that's high however uh it's become exceedingly they need special elections to fill these seats and it's become really clear, uh, or at least it seems as if Democrats have a really strong chance of winning those seats. And so Scott Walker has refused to call special elections f- to, to fill these seats because they're afraid Democrats will win and it will threaten Republicans' majorities in Wisconsin Congress. Um, Sounds about right. Yeah. I'm sensing a theme here. A judge uh, recently ordered that, no, you can't do that. Like, that's not how democracy works. You have to call a special election. And Scott Walker, instead of calling a special election, said, we're not going to we're not going to do it. We want the legislature to give a chance to change the laws so that we don't have to call special election. And so they had to have another court ruling where the judge said, you're not allowed to do that. So they had to issue like an injunction or something to stop the legislature from trying to get around. Yeah. A, a thing that would have had to have happened otherwise. And That's so fantastic. They finally got him to call the special elections after two court cases, all this political chicanery. Chicanery? Chican- whatever. Chicanery or chicanery. Either way, I think the the bullet point is that there is clearly a group of people, a cadre of individuals that want to see what elections are be reduced to just kind of uh, like the, a parliamentary political naming process. Where it's yeah. like, this district is this, therefore they get to pick who comes next. Yeah. Just on party lines and that's not how this is supposed to work fundamentally it is like i said i mean i think it brushes up towards const and maybe i'm overblowing it but to me it brushes up on constitutional crisis uh territory where you know there is they finally do relent at the end but they're pushing it as far as they can go um as far as they can go because scott walker i don't know how that man has hung on to wisconsin governorship for so long like it's it's purely just Koch brother money oh, that, that sure. is propelling him because that guy, he couldn't govern his way out of a paper bag. <laughs> and I I live in a state where Bruce Rauner is the governor. Oh jeez, don't even remind me of that. That is some that is some nightmare shit. That um, I, I still have to <laughs> square with myself some days. Yeah. Not for long, in theory. Uh, Go but JB. I think uh-huh. you know the I think it's a thing that I think is true that the courts will not save us in the Donald Trump era, but at least in these two instances, they, you know, there there is seem to be some people fighting back for the side of no, we have to have a, a a democracy that's actually run like a democracy. Yeah, it's the the courts aren't the courts are a backstop, but I think people want to give them too much credit as being a a a source of positive law, which it it can't be. Yeah, it's it's purely reactive, and when it's reactive, that means the bad thing has already started or has been done. Yeah, and the best it can be is remedial. Right. And if we're talking about remedies, that means you've already had damage, and we've already had damage. You know who did it, and that's the with all these cases, you see who did it, and there's there's no arguing around it, and you can try and make a an, an argument that well, it's if you have the political power, you you are imbued with it. Uh, with that power by voters to to exercise your political will. But when that political will undermines the institution that granted you the political power in the first place, how can you claim any sort of legitimacy? Yeah. And that's, you know, modern America in a nutshell. A political system that's entirely captive. And, I mean, there's no way around it except for uh, outrageous action by actually principled people. Yep. 
All right. That's and that's why it's so scary that Trump is president because Article Three judges. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not forget that. That I think that's you know the the longest thing I, I tell people all the time that the judiciary is going to be. Yeah, I mean, we won't be able to get back to normal for I think you know at least forty. 40 years or 50 years. A long time. The only thing I think that we can kind of cling to hope-wise is that if these are a bunch of Fed sock MAGA chuds, they're going to be so corrupt that you can theoretically catch them in something that that makes them impeachable. Not all of them, and it's not going to be even a preponderance of them, but it's going to be some. Yeah. Because people that, you know, are power mad almost invariably tend to abuse it. And if they abuse it to any... Meaningful extent in a in a, uh, a an era of society where nothing is a secret for very long. At least that's something. Yep.